Our reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, and we're going to read from verse 17 to 34. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the Lord. Thank you, Milton. Morning, everyone. Nice to see you. My name's Joel, if we haven't had the chance to meet. And this week we're continuing on in our series in Matthew, but it's, it's going to be our last one uh, for a little while. Next week we're going to be starting a, a three-week series in the lead-up to Christmas, and we're going to be looking at the person of Jesus. Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. Uh, and then following that we'll have our Christmas services. But today we're here in Matthew chapter 20, uh, so let's pray and then take a look at it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, the God of the universe, would speak to us. 
Uh, And we ask that you would do that this morning uh, for your sake, uh, for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, I wonder if I can ask you as we begin, what are your biggest ambitions in life? What is it that your heart and your mind keeps going back to? Whether you're a, a student, a teacher, a parent, an accountant, a waitress, whether you're unemployed, young or old, uh, whatever you are, what are some of your biggest ambitions? I wonder how you'd answer that. Uh, And I wonder how God is involved in those ambitions. Is he involved maybe a little bit? Uh, Is he simply an afterthought? Is he someone that you can bring those ambitions to? Well, over these last few weeks, Jesus has been showing his disciples how to live in God's kingdom. And it's been quite unexpected for them. They've tried to take initiative at times, but on numerous occasions, uh, occasions, Jesus has had to correct them. Last week, they wanted to be first, but he, he kind of flipped their thinking upside down by teaching them that those who want to be first will be last, and the last will be first. And the reason is that God's kingdom operates in a very different way to the world around us. What God values can be very different uh, to what the the world values. And so Jesus teaches his disciples uh, how to live in this kingdom. And a similar thing happens in today's passage. The disciples have an an ambition for greatness. But unfortunately... Their idea of what it means to be great is very much worldly. And it's a good reminder for us as we consider where our ambitions lie. Uh, There are three different scenes in the passage. We'll take a look at each one and then think about what God is calling us to do in response. Uh, And I should say that the main scene is the second one. So scene one, we pick things up with Jesus and the disciples en route to Jerusalem. Now he pulls them aside and for the third time, he tells them about his impending death. But this time he gives some new details. In particular, he mentions how he's going to die. He tells them that he will be crucified. Crucifixions were uh, truly gruesome and, and a humiliating way to die. It was, it was torture, a spectacle for all to see. And that's what's going to await Jesus as he gets to Jerusalem. You would have noticed that Jesus calls himself the the Son of Man, which is a title from the Old Testament, uh, Daniel chapter 7. And it's a title that we've heard before uh, through Matthew's Gospel. It's it's used something like 30 times. Uh, So I won't say too much on it, other than when people hear that title, they would think of a person who's going to bring in this everlasting kingdom. A person served by people from many nations uh, and of many languages. And so Jesus refers to himself in this way because he fulfills this role. But in today's passage, uh, Jesus shows that while it's true that many will come to serve him, that's not his main goal. So Jesus has has told them what lies ahead, uh, and so we come to scene two. Now soon after, a a mother of two of the disciples come to Jesus uh, with her sons. And it's interesting the, the way that she's described the mother of Zebedee's sons. It's a very roundabout way to describe someone. Uh, And as it turns out, uh, her name is Salome, and she's the mother 
of James and John. And we see that from other parts of the Gospels. So Salome, she comes to Jesus with her sons and she's down on her knees uh, with this request, humbling herself before him. Uh, And it's interesting because Salome is the sister of Mary, who of course was the mother of Jesus. So this is Jesus' auntie coming with his cousins to make this request, uh, which will be important to remember in a moment. Now she says, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now when we read this story initially, it makes us cringe a little bit for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because he's just told them that he's about to die, and then they come asking who he plans to have at his right and his left. It's, it's a little bit insensitive. Like hearing someone's about to die and, and asking them to be put on their will. It's, it completely misses the mark. And secondly, because they try and pull the family card. Jesus, we're, we're related. We're blood. Look after us. Look out for your cousins, Jesus. Now, she, she might be an overbearing mother, but as we read on, James and John are just as ambitious as Salome, which sounds admirable at first, but there's more to it. Jesus tells them that they don't know what they're asking for, and he follows it up with this question. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Now, what's he talking about here? Uh, in the Bible, the cup is often used as this metaphor for suffering that's about to take place. And when Jesus uses it, he's talking about the suffering that he's going to face, uh, which he's just told them about. And in Jesus' ministry and and throughout the New Testament, we see there's this connection between the cup and the throne, a connection between the present suffering and the glory to come. And those two things are, are not separated by Jesus. See, one leads to the other. Suffering leads to glory which is a a wonderful reminder for every Christian. We know that suffering lies ahead if we're not already experiencing it. But we also know that there is glory ahead that we will share in. The cup is the way to the throne. It's wonderful news. But of course, James and John don't really know what Jesus means. So they offer this kind of confident yes when he asks them about the cup. They almost speak before thinking. Uh, And sadly, when Jesus is eventually arrested, they fail to live up to these bold words. In fact, all of the disciples end up fleeing at that point. But it won't be the end. Uh, In verse 23, Jesus responds, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Jesus says, what you don't, realize, uh, you don't realize it yet, but just as I'm about to face suffering, that's, that's also what lies ahead for you. And it's only later on in the Bible, uh, after Jesus ascends to heaven, that we, that we see it happen. In Acts chapter 12, James is killed for his faith. And elsewhere we see John faces persecution for following Jesus. Now think about what's happened here. Jesus has disclosed some of the realities of what lies ahead for him. And James, John, along with their mother, are worried about where they're going to rank when Jesus reigns. In chapter 19, Jesus spoke to them about the fact that they will all be sitting on thrones with him. And these two want to be in pole position. They want the important seats, the the closest ones to Jesus. And they're driven by this worldly ambition. 
But of course, Jesus isn't concerned about who sits where, but with doing the will of his Father. And we can kind of get that wrong from time to time as well, can't we? We get fascinated by worldly ideas of greatness, and we end up working towards the wrong things. And we can end up on on the completely uh, different page to Jesus, something to, to keep watch for in our own lives. So James and John, along with their mother, are left disappointed by Jesus. Now the other ten disciples hear about what's happened, and they're far from impressed. In fact, their annoyance at James and John probably shows that they had similar ambitions for greatness. Some of you will have been in these environments where everyone is trying to get ahead. People look for opportunities to impress the boss or or those above them. They look for chances to put themselves in the limelight. And it can be quite tiring, can't it? What James and John have done is, the, is only the kind of thing that you'd get worked up about if you yourself cared about a seat of honour next to Jesus. So I don't think that the disciples' uh, frustration is out of concern that James and John aren't quite understanding how, God's, uh, how things work in God's kingdom. It's that they, they use their family ties and got in before the rest of them. Now then, look at the result of their worldly ambition. It leads to division among the disciples. Picture how it plays out. Arguments, maybe bitterness towards others, uh, little factions forming. Thankfully, Jesus steps in before they get even more carried away. But isn't it a shame when we see that kind of thing happen? We still see worldly ambition ultimately damaging relationships. Get ahead at any cost. Uh, I remember last year uh, a documentary came out called The Last Dance. Uh, It's about Michael Jordan, one of the all-time great basketball players, and you may well have seen it. Uh, It's a fascinating documentary because it gives you a little bit of insight into what drove Michael Jordan. He had a clear desire to be better than everyone else. Nothing was able to get in the way of that. And no one would get in the way of that. And over his career, you see glimpses of the effects that his ambition has on those around him. He's a man who burned a lot of bridges. No shortage of strained relationships left behind. And you could say a lot of it came down to his own ambition. See, our sinful hearts can lead us to worldly ambition. It's a great danger for individuals uh, and it's also a great danger for churches. Again, it's, it's something for us to watch out for. So in, in verse 25, Jesus steps in and he speaks, and he tells the disciples how they can become great in the kingdom of God. Uh, and my guess is they would not have been, uh, it would not have been what they wanted to hear. If you want to be truly great in God's eyes, you need to learn how to serve. Jesus uses the examples of the Gentile rulers and officials, and broadly speaking, uh, these rulers, they would love authority. They would use it to, uh, with force and, and to make a spectacle out of things. The more people you have serving under you, the better, the greater you are. They strive for power, position, honour and influence, things that won't matter in God's kingdom to which Jesus uh, says to the disciples, not so with you, not so with you. The way to become great in God's kingdom is through serving others, 
Uh, he gives the examples of, of servants and slaves. And both of these uh, were the lowest of the low in society. They do the things that no one else wants to do. But Jesus attributes these roles as leading to greatness. Because the lower that, that we're willing to go, then the higher we'll be in God's eyes. Uh, which isn't always easy for us to get our heads around. Uh, it's a little bit like golf in that sense. The lower the score, the better you're doing. Now, who knew that golf was such a biblical sport? Now, I don't think I've uh, ever seen people get angry at each other for, for seeking to serve others too much. Uh, I can confirm no one at St. Stephen's has ever come up to me and said, Joel, you're just too servant-hearted. Uh, you need to just tone it down a little bit, uh, and probably, probably for good reason. Uh, but Jesus shows us how we overcome worldly ambition. If you want to be great... If you want to be first, be as a servant and slave to others. And we see why in verse 28. It's one of the great uh, Bible verses. It's very well known, and I think the reason it's so great is because of its simplicity. It's one of the, the, the shortest explanations about why Jesus came to earth. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, if you're pursuing worldly ambition, remember why I'm here. God's own son, given authority over, the, literally, uh, over, over literally everything in this world, choosing uh, to use all of it at his disposal to serve us. Giving up his life, uh, his life to serve and save many. It's a great verse to remind us of Jesus' ultimate plan. And then we get to scene three, uh, which is verse 29 to the end of the chapter. And we see Jesus walk the talk. There's nothing worse than someone telling you what to do uh, when they themselves don't do it. Uh, and I'm really dreading the day when our eight-month-old eight Sophia works that out. Uh, some of the food combinations that we feed her, no, no adult in their right mind would eat. But uh, with Jesus, words and deeds are, are never an issue. And having just taught his disciples on the greatness of serving, he now takes the opportunity to serve these two blind men. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? Again, they call him Lord and they ask for their sight. And he serves them by, by giving it to them. It, it's remarkable. And the best part of this is, is right at the end of the chapter, where Matthew tells us that these men follow him. They respond in faith. The one with all authority using that authority to serve others. That's at the core of the, the Christian message, our selfless saviour. Now, a couple of things that, uh, that this passage is calling us to do. The first uh, is, and I think this thing's the most important, and that is to let Jesus serve you. That's what he came to do. It's really striking that in the face of his death, he is concerned to serve others. When I think of a, a servant, uh, I think of someone who, who does things that just others just don't sim simply don't want to do. Jesus doesn't just do that. He also serves us by doing what we can't do. He's willing to give up his throne in heaven to die for our sin. Before we think of ourselves as servants of the risen king, remember that we've been served by him. That's what makes uh, Christianity so unique. God 
serving man. Some people get offended when they hear that. It's, it's insulting to think of God as a servant. And yet, that is how God has acted for us through Christ. Let Jesus serve you. Some of us uh, think that Jesus redeemed us and, and saved us, and he's, he's finished serving us. Now it's all on us to serve him. But we continue to be served by Jesus. He serves us through his word to us. He serves us through his prayers for us. He serves us by giving us his Holy Spirit to live for him. Some of us like to be independent. We, we like to do things without relying on others. Uh, and even the idea of Jesus serving us makes us a little bit uncomfortable. But the reality is we, we need to humbly accept what Jesus offers us. He does what we can't. Uh, let Jesus continue to serve you. The other thing this passage does is it calls us to seek greatness in God's eyes. Seek greatness in God's eyes. The way we do that is by being a servant to others. And I think this is the hard part. We, we can all think of people who we know who are, are good at serving sacrificially. And what a great blessing that is to each of us. I think most of us know that God wants us to, to serve others. But we also know how difficult it can be. There are times where we just don't feel like it. And we don't like it uh, when people actually treat us like servants. And I certainly uh, feel that at times. I'm, I'm sure many of us do. They don't recognize our efforts. They don't acknowledge the sacrifices that we make for them. We get nothing in return. And so we pursue the things that we think will get us recognition. Jesus says, not so with you. God sees what others don't. Seek greatness that will last. Uh, I asked you earlier, what, where does your ambition in life lie? Regarding those ambitions, are we still willing to be servants of others? Uh, we're given numerous opportunities and all our different interactions with people. When we serve others, we have a chance to point them to the one who has served and continues to serve us. As, as Christmas approaches, we, we remember the God who lowered himself uh, into this broken world to bring hope. We have a message that's worth sharing. We're living in, in a time of restrictions where we know people can't just come to church, walk in off the street. Uh, I think it's a time for us as Christians to think about how we can be sharing about the one who has come to be a ransom for many. And by serving others, we certainly take a step towards uh, being able to do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are the God who served us through Christ. Father, thank you that you continue to serve us. Father, please would you uh, give us a humility to be willing uh, to be the servant of others. Help us uh, to see that that's what uh, true greatness is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.